All right, today we are continuing our study in the book of Acts, and I'm going to ask Abigail M. Scheimer to come over and read Acts chapter 13, 42 to 52, if you could stand for the reading of God's word. Acts 13, 42 to 52. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out to, of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Abigail. Well, as I was preparing the sermon, I made some tea. I like tea, as you can see. I drink it every morning when I'm up here. Um, and after, as, after I had about six cups of coffee, um, I tend to get a little jittery, and so the tea kind of calms me down. Anyway, my tea bag that afternoon uh, had an interesting quote on the little tab. You know, some of them have little quotes on the tab. And it was by an unknown author, but it said this. It read, why does one believe when you say there are four billion stars, but check when you say the paint is wet? And I was like, you know what? That's a great question. It's a great question. I believe that most, we believe the most incredibly unbelievable things with very little proof, but when it comes to the simple things like whether the paint is wet or not, we gotta prove it, right? And that's just human nature, isn't it? Why do we believe it when we're told that there are things such as black holes or thousands of galaxies or that there are such things as atoms which we're not able to see, right? We have to trust that someone tells us this stuff and it's true. But when we say that there's a God who created all of these things, we're like, eh, not so sure about that. Sounds a little too far-fetched, right? We don't see black holes. We don't see galaxies with the naked eye. Or we don't see atoms unless someone takes a picture of them. But again, like, it could be just a computer animated thing that someone just put together. We don't really know. We don't see black holes, we don't see galaxies, and we don't see God, right? But somehow it's easier to believe in the existence of something as crazy as a black hole that sucks everything into it than it is to believe that there's a God who created us and loves us. People believe what they want to believe. And when they believe something strong enough, they interpret facts or the things around them in light of their belief. And that's why what we believe is so very important. 
our belief shapes our reality. If we believe something that is false, the false concept shapes who we are and we end up living a lie. The tragedy is that we don't even know we're living a lie because we are self-deceived and this results in a life of bondage and loss. We never become who God created us to be or do what God intended us to do. However, if we believe the truth, if we believe something true, the truth shapes who we are and we end up living out that truth. The blessing is that truth actually sets free, according to Jesus, and we are free to be who God created us to be and do what God intended for us to do. What we're going to be talking about today is an incredibly simple yet profound truth. But people down through the centuries have struggled with it, including the people in our story today and people in the pews in our churches all around the world every week. And the truth is this, that Christ is the end of uh, for Christ is the end of the Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I'm going to get that truth right here. Here we go. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. In other words, belief in Jesus is what makes us righteous, not following a law or a set of rules. And what's tragic is that when it comes to things of God, people believe what they want to believe. It is kind of like the opposite of the quote on my tea bag. People want to believe that being righteous is the result of acting righteous, by obeying laws and rules and by not touching the wet paint. Tragically, many people think it is too far-fetched to believe that being righteous is simply a result of faith in Jesus Christ. That is too easy. It's unbelievable. Belief in a black hole makes a whole lot more sense than that. And belief shapes our reality. So keep this in mind as we look at today's story and we see two responses that people have to the message of salvation through Jesus. Rejection or acceptance, belief or unbelief. As a recap real quick, last week we looked at Paul's message in the synagogue. He presented to all the Jews that were present there that God's salvation plan for mankind was rooted in Israel's history, was realized in the person of Jesus, and was received by faith in Jesus. It's a simple and straightforward message of Paul offering the Jews in the town of Antioch, Pisidia, the chance to believe and become part of the true people of God. And this week we're going to look at the response to Paul's message but also what that response meant for Paul, for the Jewish people in that city and, and as, a, as, a, as a people group, and for Luke who was recording the events for the posterity of the church. And this was a pivotal moment in the early church, a defining moment actually, for this is when the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus went from being an exclusive, uh, going exclusively to Jews to now going to Gentiles and people from all around the world. And in this passage, Luke describes the two responses to the gospel and God's messenger of the gospel, Jewish rejection and Gentile acceptance. Now, it's difficult for me to wrap my brain around this, and I'm sure that Paul was definitely disappointed as well, but the fact that the Jewish response to the gospel of Jesus was rejection, that's surprising. How could this be? Paul could prove to the Jews that Jesus was the promised Messiah of God that they'd been waiting for for centuries. The king who would come and restore Israel to its rightful state. He was the sacrificial lamb who would take away the sins of the world. He was the heir of King David who would rule the nations forever. And as a learned Pharisee, Paul could prove all of it from the Old Testament. But they chose not to believe him. People will believe what they want to believe. 
The Jews in Paul's day insisted that righteousness and eternal life with God, forgiveness of sins, joy and hope and peace came through being a circumcised Jew who obeyed the law of Moses. That's what they wanted to believe. They believed that righteousness came by adherence to the law, by living a good, devout Jewish life. And that is why Paul's message was revolutionary message for the Jewish people, but also for all of us. As Paul said in Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, when someone believes in the good news of Jesus' finished work on the cross for forgiveness of their sins, then they are considered by God to be righteous. And what this means is that if you believe that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins, then the righteousness and goodness of Jesus is imputed to you. Now, that's a big word. In other words, the righteousness of Jesus is counted as yours, is counted as your righteousness on the basis of your faith in Jesus. God takes Jesus' righteousness, his goodness, all of that, and he makes it yours simply because you believe in him. This is also called justification. You are righteous, you are justified, and the goodness of Jesus is given or imputed to you by God on the basis of your faith in his way of salvation, which is Jesus. Amen? Everybody following me? This is really important. All right, here we go. This is the basics of Christian doctrine, very basics. And Paul taught this to the crowd, proving that this was true all along, all through the Old Testament. Righteousness comes through faith in God's way of salvation. Jesus, the Jews had simply missed it. And just like happens today with so many people, there are two responses to this incredible gospel message, rejection or belief. And these two responses came to a head in Antioch while Paul was there. So we're going to take a look. All right, turn back to Acts chapter 13, verse 42 again. And so Paul had just got done preaching this this wonderful message to the Jews in that synagogue. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, And the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So after that first time that Paul stood up and spoke, many of the people wanted to hear more. And Paul had said, through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him anyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by following the law of Moses. In other words, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. These are big statements, and there, is, there was a curiosity stirred up in the Jews at this interesting take on the Old Testament scriptures. It sounded plausible, it was definitely thought-provoking, but during the week, the Jews had taken some time to think it over, to come up with a few arguments, to, gain a, to gather a few verses that would refute Paul and Barnabas. They just wanted to figure this out, right? And they had lots of questions. What would he say in response to this verse or that passage? What if a Gentile who was not a proselyte decided to follow Jesus? Why would God send his son, raise him from the dead, but then not have him sit on the throne of David like he promised he would? Where is this ruling and reigning Messiah that Paul was talking about, right? Curiosity. Curiosity is not conviction. Interest is not faith. 
many people came up to Noah way back in the Old Testament and asked him why he was building this huge boat, right? They even watched him build it for a hundred years. I'm sure they were very curious. What does gopher wood look like anyway, right? But curiosity is not conviction, right? They did not believe that they needed a boat, and they did not get inside that boat. Curiosity is good, but curiosity does not save. But when the curious Jews in our story got to the synagogue that next week, the crowd was too big to fit in that synagogue, and the whole city showed up. And this is a strange turn of events, and their curiosity quickly turned to jealousy and rejection. Because the Jews rejected, our passage says that Paul shook the dust of his feet off and he went to the Gentiles, right? This passage brings up a number of interesting points. So we're going to take a look uh, at a moment and turn to some interesting passages uh, in Romans chapter 10 and 11. Now, how many know what Romans chapter 10 and 11 is, right? Yeah, see, I'm going in some pretty interesting territory today. Paul explains the composition of a new people of God, the church, in Romans 10 and 11, which includes Jew and Gentile. In Romans, Paul wrote about how the broad-stroke Jewish people rejected the gospel, but this led to the Gentiles' inclusion in the people of God. But before we get there, as we read through Paul's travels through Acts, we will see that in every city that he went, he went to the Jews first. Why did he always enter the synagogues of a new town and preach Jesus the Messiah to the Jews if they would have him preach before he went to the Gentiles? If you want to, you can turn to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to explore this question together. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's his people, the Israelites, the Jews, is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So this is why he's always going to the Jews first. And this is the crux of the episode that we're looking at today. Paul wanted nothing more than for his fellow countrymen, his people, to place their faith in Jesus and be saved. He admitted that they had an acknowledgement of God, a zeal for God, a curiosity regarding God, but they were lacking the faith that saved them. The Jews were ignorant of how how to obtain God's righteousness. They thought it was through keeping the law of Moses, being born into a Jewish family and being circumcised, keeping festivals and traditions. And it can be the same today too. People try to obtain righteousness by doing good deeds, by getting involved in social justice issues, by going to church, by caring for the needy, right? By doing all sorts of good things and following all sorts of laws, people try to establish themselves as good and righteous people before God, pleasing and acceptable to him. But this was never God's way for us to obtain righteousness. Romans 10, chapter, 12, verse 13, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 says, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, American or Asian, Catholic or Muslim, Baptist or Lutheran, none of us is able to gain our own righteousness by what we do. By what we do. God designed it from the beginning that he would grant his righteousness to all who call on him. Tragically, the Jews did not submit to God's way, and I keep saying that word over and over again, way. God's way was, 
is and always will be who? Jesus, right? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what was going on with the Jews in Paul's day? Paul answers this in Romans 10 and 11 with a but I ask rhetorical type of writing style where he would answer the questions and we're going to look at those in a few minutes. So the Jews were curious, right? We see that in our passage. And Luke describes them uh, in our story for today as curious, verse 42. They wanted to know more. So they gathered on the next Sabbath day. They had curiosity as to what was going on. And Paul in Romans chapter 10 verse 18 says this. He says, but I ask, have they not heard? He's talking about the Jews. Have they not heard? Indeed they have. For, and he quotes a, an Old Testament passage, their voice has gone out to the ends of the earth and the words to the ends of the world. He says, but I ask, have the Jews not heard? Have they not heard the good news of Jesus? He answers himself, yes, they have heard. Even those Jews who were living at the ends of the earth heard the message. Even the Jews in Antioch of Pisidia, way up in the Taurus Mountains, days and days hike away from the rest of the world. They heard. In fact, they heard the message and they wanted to hear more. They were curious. However, their curiosity did not lead them to believe. Instead, it led them to jealousy, verse 45 in, in Acts chapter 13. Now, this is a strange response, don't you think? Their curiosity led to jealousy. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 19, Paul continues his thought by asking another question. He says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? So they heard, but did they not understand this message, right? Verse 19, I asked, did Israel not understand? They were curious, so did they just not get the message? And Paul answers his own question in verse 19. He says, no, they heard, they heard, and they understood. They were just blinded by jealousy and became angry. He says this in verse 19 of Romans chapter 10. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So they were disobedient and contrary, contradicting what was revealed to them by God through the prophets and the apostles. And in Antioch of Pisidia, their jealousy got the best of them. They didn't want to share God with anyone, and they despised Paul's teaching that God had an eye to the rest of the world. And their jealousy and their contrary in nature led to an antagonistic rejection, verse 45. It says that they reviled Paul and his message. And the word means blasphemed. They blasphemed the message and the messenger of Jesus. They spoke evil against it. They claimed it was false. And they rejected God's means of salvation. So the Jews were curious. Their curiosity led to jealousy. Their jealousy to anger. And very quickly this anger pushed them to antagonistic blasphemous attitudes. And in light of their rejection, Paul asked a very good question in Romans chapter 11 verse 1 through five. Let me read this. He says again, I ask. Paul likes to do this. He asks the question, then he answers his own question. I ask then, has God rejected his people? So they rejected him. Has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, Paul says, at the present time, right now when he's writing this book, there is a remnant chosen by grace. 
But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So in light of the rejection, Paul asked the question, I asked then, has God rejected his people? In other words, they rejected God, so does that mean God just rejects them? Right? The answer is no. Even though most have rejected, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And here is why Paul would always go to the Jews city to the Jews in each city first, to find the remnant. God's word came to Israel first all throughout history and God chose them long ago as his vessels of mercy to the rest of the world. And so Paul would honor what God had decided and he would give the Jews in each city the first chance to respond to the gospel. And those who responded with faith in Jesus would be saved and they would be redeemed and they would be included in the people of God, the kingdom of God, the reign of the Messiah, the church of Jesus. So the answer is no, God has not rejected his people. They received the same offer of salvation as everyone else. In fact, God gave them the first opportunity, the prime opportunity to hear and receive it. Unfortunately, many of them did not receive it. They rejected it and to the point of persecuting the witnesses of Jesus. And we see that in verses 50 and 51 of Acts chapter 13. All right, so they, they rejected and they persecuted. And the question here is, did Israel's rejection of Jesus mean the end of God's plan for Israel? I know some of you are really listening intently because when I, when I talk about Israel, all these ears perk up, certain of you. Okay, did God reject Israel because they failed, right? Not hardly. Paul asks this question in, in Romans eleven eleven. He says, I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall, be forever gone, right? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So Paul asks the question, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? His answer, no, they stumbled so that Gentiles could be included in the people of God. This is the matchless and wondrous grace of God. When the unbelieving Jews stirred up persecution and drove Paul and Barnabas out of the city, what happened? They went to the Gentiles. Because of this, more people got to hear the message of salvation and be included in the people of God because the Jews rejected. In other words, God uses what is evil and turns it into good. God takes what's tragic and turns it into miraculous. God turns problems into opportunities. And here's where the story gets excited. Exciting. Second point, Gentile response is acceptance. So the Gentiles heard the message. Verse 44. Next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And skip down to verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. All right, so let's get back in the story. So the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city gathers to hear the word of the Lord, and it's a good turnout. Can you imagine if all of North Prairie or all of the town of Eagle showed up to hear the message of salvation on a Sunday morning? We wouldn't fit in this building. We'd have to be outside, right? That would be thousands of people. What an exciting Sunday that would be. And it was an exciting Saturday, Sabbath day for them. 
You'd think that those Jews would be ecstatic at the prospect of thousands of people believing in the Messiah sent by God, the God of Israel. They would have been excited, right? Thousands of people gathered together, a mixture of Jew and Gentile, proselyte, pagan, to hear the message of the Jewish Messiah. Literally crowds of people swarming to hear from Paul. And as I mentioned, the Jews saw all this going on, the interest, the inclusion of the Gentiles into the story of God, the preaching of the Messiah, and instead of being glad, they were jealous. A selfish, unloving response. A response demonstrating they did not have the heart of God. And so Paul spoke right to the Jews, right in front of the Gentiles, and he flat out says, it was necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first. So in a sense, he was under obligation by, from the word of God to speak to the Jews first, and, and this has been God's plan all along to speak God's truth to Jews, and then the Jews were to disseminate that truth to the rest of the people. And Paul says, we honored that. You're our brothers. We, we spoke God's word to you. But since you thrust it aside, he says... So in their hearts, they determined that Paul was preaching was not the word of God. They didn't want to hear it. People believe what they want to believe. They contradicted it. They rejected it. They thrust it aside. They threw it away. They considered it irrelevant and unimportant to them. He says, and since you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Listen to that. In other words, they condemned themselves unworthy of eternal life. By rejecting the message of salvation, they condemned themselves. Jesus said this in John chapter 3. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever, believe, who, who, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Jews did not believe, and so they were condemned. They judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world, Jesus said, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In their unbelief, they condemned themselves to perish. God's offer of forgiveness and eternal life was extended in God's grace to them. Instead, they chose to blaspheme it and reject it. I hope that's no one in this room today. And Paul says, so we're turning to the Gentiles. Because you rejected, we're going to focus our attention on the remainder of our time here in Antioch on the Gentiles. We're going to do what God commanded us in verse 47. And this command has a double meaning. Paul had been commissioned by Jesus himself to be the apostle to the Gentiles and to take the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 9, we read about that. But Paul's also making the statement that all of them all the Jews, all that found Jesus, everybody was commanded by God long ago to take the message of God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And he quotes Isaiah 49.6, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. God had chosen Israel, blessed Israel so that they could bring light to the nations and so that, so that they could find salvation. The remnant who believed in Jesus, which included Paul and Peter and the Jerusalem church and many others, were doing what God had intended. They were being a light to the Gentiles. They were acting as true Israel should have. They were being obedient to the Lord by taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want to go back one more time to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how far back you are, what you've done in your past. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So God used Paul, a Jew, to take the message of salvation to the Gentiles. As a result, the Gentiles heard the message. The Gentiles heard Paul and Barnabas. They heard the gospel presentation. They heard Paul say that he was turning away from the Jews and focusing on them. And how did they respond to all of this? Verse 48, they rejoiced. Imagine this scene with me. There's thousands of people. All of North Prairie is gathered out in our parking lot, right? There's thousands of people, right? And they're listening to Paul talk about the Old Testament scriptures and how they were fulfilled in this person called Jesus who was really God incarnate, who came down to save all mankind. And then all of a sudden, the Jews begin to get agitated and they begin to contradict Paul. And they're yelling out opposing thoughts and they're heckling him and they're disrupting the message, defaming his character, and things start to get heated, right? And so the Jews began looking at the Gentiles and they're saying things like, you don't belong here, right? You don't belong here and, and the message isn't for you and God didn't send a Messiah for Gentiles. Our God doesn't love people who aren't circumcised. And then Paul, he puts them to silence. He speaks louder and he says that because the Jews in that crowd wouldn't listen to this word, he's going to take the message to the Gentiles. And I can imagine a brief moment of silence as the Jews are dumbfounded that a fellow Jew, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a respected leader of their people would forsake his own people in order to take this message to someone else. And the Gentiles take a moment for this news to sink in. And then when it does, when they realize that Paul was promising to bring this message of God who loved them enough to send his son to die so that they could be free from their sins and have eternal life, they rejoiced. When they realized that righteousness was obtained by faith in the message of Jesus, they rejoiced and glorified the word of the Lord. And this was not a subdued, uncomfortable gathering of worn-out middle-aged parents in an auditorium to hear a sales pitch about a pyramid scheme. This was like a group of Bucks fans after winning the NBA Finals and becoming world champions, right? You hearing me? They were rejoicing. They were high-fiving. They were jumping up and down. They're dancing. They were whooping it up. They were genuinely excited and thankful and joyful at having the opportunity to believe in the way of Jesus, which is given to them by, grace, by the grace of the God who made them. When was the last time we were that excited about our salvation? But their excitement and their rowdy rejoicing didn't sit well with those stuffy unbelievers. So they stirred up the influential women along with men who were leaders in the city and they began to put pressure on Paul and Barnabas. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they got people to attempt to harm those two brothers and they got together and drove those two guys out of their city and out of their district. Meanwhile, the Gentiles rejoiced. Verse 48, and they believed. They believed. Romans chapter 10, verse 20 says this. Isaiah predicted this. Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So the Gentiles had, been, had not been seeking God, but he found them. The Gentiles didn't ask for God, but he revealed himself to them. The Gentiles had previously not known they needed salvation, but God provided the way. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now that's a tricky verse, right? This verse is used many times as strong evidence of God's election. 
This can be a controversial, divisive topic in the church. It's a dicey doctrine. So I'm going to hit it head on. Here we go. Ready? I feel the need to say something here. I believe wholeheartedly in God's election. Paul talks about it in Romans 9. But I also believe wholeheartedly in man's responsibility because Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 10. Yes, God is sovereign. He, so he knows who will believe and who will not believe. He is, he is known before the foundation of the world. At the same time, God calls us to believe and encourage us to choose him in love. But Luke uses the word elect here. Those who were elected to eternal life believe. So does God really elect some people to believe and, and resulting in salvation and elect others to disbelieve, resulting in their damnation? No. It's not what the Bible teaches concerning God. The Bible teaches sovereignty and responsibility, election and choice. And I've said it before, we fall into a danger when we focus exclusively on one extreme or the other. In this case, either election or choice. It's not all election, neither is it all choice. It's all of both. According to Strong's Dictionary, the word translated here as appointed in the ESV and many other translations and ordained in the King James Version, if that's your version of choice, is also the word tasso, meaning to arrange in an orderly fashion, to appoint or to assign to a position or a place. Interesting thing about an appointment to a position or an ordination to an office is the desire to be appointed or to be ordained must be present before you're ordained or appointed, correct? People do not go kicking and screaming to become appointed to a position or ordained to a position. The grace of God does not force us against our will. The grace of God opens our eyes to the wonderful things God has done through Jesus. The grace of God opens our ears to the glorious word of God. The grace of God gives us the ability to believe. The grace and kindness of God lead us to repentance and faith in Jesus. So as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. Sovereignty and choice, both realities are true. And after they believed, the Gentiles became disciples. Verse 52. Notice that Luke describes these Gentiles as people appointed to eternal life, and these appointed people believed and rejoiced and glorified in the word of the Lord, and as a result, their belief and their glorifying the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord spread throughout the region. The Gentiles now became witnesses of Jesus' life-transforming power. And as a result, they're described as something different. They are no longer described as Gentiles. They are described as disciples. Their identity has changed because of their belief. They had a new life. And Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what a contrast between the Jews and the Gentiles in the story. The Jews wanted to save their lives, their Jewishness, their distinctiveness from the Gentiles, their identity, and they lost it. The Gentiles forsook their old lives, they forsook their old ways, they decided not to grasp onto their old religion, and instead they, they lost everything for Jesus, but they gained their lives. They became disciples of the way. And what characterized the disciples of the way? What distinguished them from the unbelieving Jews? Number one, the last verse, they were filled with joy. Of all the people on the planet Earth, we Christians should be the most joyful. We should not be characterized by rule-following drudgery and misery. We have been set free 
free to give up our lives for the sake of Jesus. And in return, we are given true life, abundant life, eternal life. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is a joyous thing. And what is so inspiring is that these believers in this story were going through immediate and intense persecution. And they had joy in the midst of it. The joy of the Lord was their strength. Number two, they're filled with joy. And number two, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. How did they know they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Because they were filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is, what? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, self-control. Against such things there is no, what? No law. Okay. The surrounding people, the city, the unbelieving Jews, the fellow believers, everyone saw the changes in their lives and the fruitful evidence of God's Spirit living inside of them. And the only thing they could attribute it to was their belief in Jesus and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to end on a few points of application. Number one, we'll tie it up. Be encouraged, number one. God uses what is meant for evil and turns it into good. God takes what's tragic and turns it into the miraculous. God takes problems and makes them opportunities. The widespread Jewish rejection of Jesus led to the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. That means you and me. That means you and me. We are in the people of God because that happened. Furthermore, the widespread persecution of the church in Acts and throughout the centuries led to more and more people, both Jew and Gentile, placing their faith in Jesus. So the church expanded because of persecution. Think of this. The murder of Jesus led to the salvation of mankind. We can rest assured that the tragedies in our lives will lead to the further opportunities for God to work in the future. With God, all things are possible. Problems are just opportunities for God to demonstrate his grace and his love and his forgiveness, his kindness, his power, and his salvation to us. So be encouraged. Number two, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And this means that we do not need to follow the law of Moses and we do not need to be perfect people and we do not have to be sinless in order to be saved. This is what the grace of God is for. We simply choose to believe in the gospel of Jesus and we are declared righteous by God. We are washed clean. We are justified. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus, please do so today. You can go on trying to keep all the commands and all the laws and, and living a good life in order to be pleasing to God, but it won't work. You'll be frustrated. You will not become righteous by doing that. How many people have I talked to that said, I'll get to heaven because I'm a good person. I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't commit adultery. But Jesus and Paul and Luke and all the New Testament authors would disagree with that statement. No one is declared good because they follow a set of laws, at least not in God's eyes. The only one who's declared good in God's estimation is the one who's put faith, their faith in his perfect son, Jesus, and received his goodness and his righteousness as their own. Won't you do that today? Third point, final one. Are we characterized by joy in the fruits of the Spirit? As us that do believe, I listed off the fruits of the Spirit a minute ago. Did you catch the last phrase in that list? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, all those things, right? Against such thing there is no law. When we believe in Jesus, the Spirit indwells us and begins to produce fruit in us, fruit that needs no law. Attitudes and actions 
that have no prohibitions attached to them because they are righteous, right? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness because his indwelling spirit produces fruit inside of us in keeping with the fact that he's made us righteous. The question is, are the fruits evident in our lives? Do people look at us and would they say, that must be a disciple of Jesus because he's filled with joy and love and peace? And what is ironic is that people who focus on keeping laws and trying to do everything just right so that they can be righteous apart from Jesus, they end up being full of judgmental attitudes, joyless demeanors, and stressful lifestyles. Why? Because they're trying to do it on their own. Only the Spirit of God can give us love, joy, peace in the midst of the difficulties of this life. As Paul said last week, continue in the grace of God. In other words, abide in the gift of of God, remain in, the, in Jesus who is sent from the Father. We remain, we continue, we abide by faith in him. And when we continue in the grace of God, the Spirit produces fruit of righteousness in our lives, fruit that doesn't need laws or rules, because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you made salvation so very simple. All we have to do is believe. But for some people, that can be so, so difficult. Because it means that we have to say, you are right and we are wrong. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in here that's struggling with that admission that you are right, and that you are God, and that you offer salvation, I pray that you would give them the ability to place their faith in Jesus. And God, we're so blessed because of Jesus. Because of him, we receive joy and new life, abundant life, peace and salvation, adoption, forgiveness, all those things that we've listed. It's a wonderful thing. We're so grateful. Help us to not take that for granted. God, may we, may we rise each and every morning thanking you for what you've given to us. And may we live in the, the freedom of your grace not bound by laws and rules trying to establish our own righteousness. May we just be free to live as you've created us to be with the gifts and the, the fruit that you instill in our lives the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, turn, use us to turn this world upside down. May we just be your witnesses of what Jesus has done in us to those that we come in contact with this week. So thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for refreshing our spirits. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, I'm glad you joined us this morning. Why don't you stand for the benediction? For we have all received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week.